Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology, as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you're about to listen to is an audio version of a video astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch. So if you'd like to catch this on video, you can go there. If you want to leave a comment at some point, you can also leave that there. This podcast is a place where I share interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. I share astrology forecasts weekly, and I share solo episodes, creative writing, musings as well. So I invite you to enjoy this transmission of the astrology of the week ahead. Hey, this is Sabrina Monarch bringing you the astrology forecast for April 27th to May 3rd, 2022. We're in the thick of eclipse season. We have a new moon solar eclipse in Taurus this week, and it will be followed by another eclipse of full moon in Scorpio on May 15th. These eclipses along the Taurus-Scorpio axis are notable in that they have each a conjunction to asteroid Eros at the new moon. This week, the sun and moon are conjunct Eros, and then Eros will travel along with the speed of the sun, and Eros and the sun will be conjunct at the full moon, May 15th. So I'm calling it an erotic eclipse season. We'll get more into that. This week, the Venus-ruled eclipse in Taurus is surrounded by Venus in Pisces, joining up with Neptune and Jupiter, a flood, you know, of all things Venusian, and Pluto is stationing retrograde. It's like a swirl of a saturated Venus, the erotic, longing, and a rising of the primal as well. So eclipses, a general note, eclipses bring a certain prominence of our soul work into the context of our life experiences and our ego. So there's a feeling of things being intensified during eclipse season. And there's a greater kind of like reactivity in the field um, with that. And so it's a time to really be with yourself when you are feeling reactive or feeling activated um, in that we have the choice of whether we're going to take the ride of that activation, maybe in the habitual way that we might just react, or we can deepen into the mythic soulful why. Why am I feeling so activated by this? What desire is this speaking to? What's the deeper essence And so it becomes a great time for that level of inquiry. Um, And so it's nice to give ourselves a lot of spaciousness as much as we can during eclipse season to have that time for reflection, to have that time for a change of plans. Um, Because just trying to, you know, force the plans or make things go in a certain way becomes stressful during eclipse season. And so this energy of this very erotic eclipse, right? And Eros relates to 
the deepest feelings of aliveness, um, vulnerability, right? Like the, the truth of what's happening in our bodies, the truth of the deepest sensations that we're having and not just the ones, the sensations that we love, um, but our feelings as deep as they go in whatever direction they go. So the energy of this eclipse season is lush, but perhaps challenging in the ways that it hates mediocrity and dullness, the socially encouraged forms of mediocrity, as well as the personal ways we inhibit the more edgy and daring aspects of our own souls in favor of something safer seeming, but at what cost, right? So the deep thing or settling for whatever else. Living in touch with the erotic is a form of liberation. It is saying yes to the deepest soul essence that lives inside of us and figuring out how to integrate that deepest essence with the world. A life's work, really. This is explicitly different than stuffing out the fire of the deepest soul essence that lives inside of us because that's what we feel like we should do, right? Like, and we kept rejecting that deeper essence until it became harder and harder to access. When we, you know, maybe you know the famous essay by Audre Lorde about uses of the erotic, but she discusses the way that when we touch that deepest feeling of aliveness, it informs our standards. It informs, you know, how we can expect no less of ourselves. And um, I'll leave a link to the essay in the notes so you can, you know, read it yourself. Um, But she's not speaking to a kind of like harsh... Um, having harsh expectations on ourselves and of life, but of aspiring toward that which brings us to that deep feeling of aliveness. And I think that Eros is such an agonizing archetype as well as, you know, it is the deepest feeling of aliveness, but it's agonizing in the sense that it's like tasting the most delicious thing you've ever had, right? And then going back to normal life and the horrors of that. (laughs) And it's like, how do I come back to that which I know is possible? Or do I just collapse into a sense of futility? That was a one-time thing. I'll never feel that way again. Let me put my head down and just like accept my lot. And so to lean into those deep feelings of aliveness comes with the cost that we don't necessarily turn back, okay? And this is different than addiction and trying to chase a high or something like that. It's coming into contact with the aliveness, the radical aliveness of the soul, and that changing how we live our lives. So with eclipse season, you know, when I'm talking about like lean into the erotic and all of that. I'm not advising reactivity or burning everything down. Like, fuck this mediocrity. Time to like, you know, really like do the thing. Um, It can be so much more subtle than that. Noticing the root essence of your reactions, fascinations, desires, and feeling into where life is teaching you right now about your relationship with the erotic and where you have the opportunity to cultivate those threads even if it's just a small opening, which is often better than going too quickly or doing more at once than we can sustain responsibly. 
So I will get into more details about our many transits. It's a busy week in one moment. I want to share that there's a new episode of Magic of the Spheres. I interviewed Aliza Rood, who's a friend of mine. She is going to be TAing the upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. We talked about dreams and shared some writing, um, each of us, that came from dream imagery. Um, And a lot of you have been really enjoying that podcast. So thanks for sharing it to your stories and um, letting us know how it impacted you. And then this is the last couple of days to sign up for the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. April 29th is the last day to enroll. And this is an opportunity to, for several months in a focused way, in a container, in a community, to deepen your astrological literacy from the perspective of soul, that deeper thing within you, how you can find it and meditations on it in your natal chart and gain a comprehensive narrative of what you've brought into this life from prior lives and what your dharmic trajectory is in this lifetime. This is not just um, simple kind of prescribed information. It's more of a contemplative practice that expands and unfurls like a blooming flower for years. This form of astrology has given me life over and over and over again and given me the opportunity to navigate my incarnate existence, my development as a human, you know, starting in my early 20s, now just, you know, at the other end of Saturn return, of navigating the complexity of this life, its invitations, its challenges, its obstacles, from the deeper mythic soulful perspective that evolutionary grants us access to, um, At a technical level, we're working with Pluto and the lunar nodes and all of the signs, all of the archetypes, the way that we work with astrology in this lineage is a lot like a wisdom school. There's a lot of soul reclamation, of understanding places that we um, hook our energy or siphon our power away and why, you know, all these different permutations of that kind of plutonic story around power, disempowerment, empowerment. And so in addition to becoming more literate, being able to read charts, feeling like, you know, you're sourcing your own intuitive wisdom about astrology and not just relying on reading books, but finding your voice, your transmission with astrology It's a way of combining the personality, the concrete circumstances of your life with a deeper mythic architecture that stirs the soul at such a deep level. So we're beginning this journey again, May 2nd, April 29th is the last day. It consists of pre-recorded modules that students have enjoyed returning to. They're available to you forever. Um, And then we meet weekly to discuss the material as a group, get to know each other, and it culminates in working with our own charts together as a group. So the link to learn more, read student testimonials, there's many of them on that page, and enroll is in the notes. And I look forward to embarking on this plutonic journey. Um, It'll be our 10th run, and we're beginning so soon. So check that out, and do send me an email if you have any 
questions about the course and how it might align with your personal goals around learning astrology, if there's anything that you want to run by me or talk to me about, my inbox is open, sabrina at monarchastrology.com. But don't wait because we have a few days left. Okay, here's our week. April 27th, Venus in 24 degrees of Pisces will be conjunct Neptune in 24 degrees of Pisces at 12, 11 p.m. Pacific. With Venus and Pisces joining the transpersonal, boundary-blurring, spiritualizing planet Neptune, some themes. The heart's fantasies can be heightened and active right now, which can be inspiring for art, poetics, active acts of romance deepening into our mythic embodiment, gifting and relating from an inspired place. A deeper blending of love and fantasy can be sublime, However, there can also be challenges around its integration. If a situation or relationship cannot actually hold the fantasies projected onto it, the natural fallout is none other than disillusionment. Venus, Neptune, and Pisces could also relate to heart healing. We'll come back to disillusionment, okay? But it can relate to heart healing, restorative connection, forgiveness, and clarity where we have previously been confused grief that feels purifying or even intoxicating, you know, the grief and praise side of grief, pleasure that brings us closer to God, softening the heart in places we have been rigid or closed, etc. Like beautiful energy, Venus, Neptune. Speaking of generosity and art making, so not hoarding one's thoughts or art or expression, Anais Nin writes, I agree with you that a dream given is no longer yours, but it is also true that the more dreams you give, the more you exercise the production of dreams to fill the void, and this faculty grows stronger as you make demands upon it. It is like love. The more you spend of it, the more you stir new sources, new energies. To hold back is an, actively, is an activity which withers, inhibits, and ultimately kills the seeds. When you first surrender your dream, you may feel poor. But the instinct, like that of nature, is to replenish, to refungitate, <laughs> refucundate? <laughs> I can't even say it, I'm sorry. Um, refucundate, no, sorry, I'm ruining the vibe. Um, <laughs> okay, but nature is replenishing, okay? I have found this to be true. The more I write, the more I give, the more I love, the stronger grows the source. The writer is exposing himself in any form, ultimately, as we do in love, but it is a, it is a risk we must take, end quote. And so this quote speaks to the way that when we share, give, and create more freely, Venus-Neptune has less boundaries than normal. A mysterious source replenishes us, right? Like when you um, begin to really give of yourself to life, there's a, a way that, you know, as the tide recedes, right, um, it pulls back and turns into an ocean wave and then it recedes. Like there's a flow of nature. And Venus-Neptune, I think, has this energy to it of overflowing a little bit, like expanding past conditioned forms within us of rigidity where we're a little bit less generous, right? Because we fear that we only have a certain finite amount to give but to find that once we give, we are replenished. And on the other hand, overgiving can be a real issue, such as when we give to get, 
or overload one person, mistaking them in a sense for the whole sea and offering them more than what's true or desired, right? Or when we um, have rose-colored glasses and, you know, give abundantly to someone who's taking advantage, that would be a form of overgiving. But beyond that, where in life are we actually holding back the flow and what would happen if we stopped holding back? This transit can relate to oceanic sensations, such as the tidal wave of falling in love and the grief on the other end that is equal in depth to how much we loved. For support with grief, consider the smell of rain on dust, grief and praise by Martine Prechtel. Such a good book. Really apt for the current astrology weather and very much connected to the Eros archetype as well deepest feelings of aliveness, the highs and the lows. But in terms of the bookmark that I made around disillusionment, disillusionment with Venus and Pisces and Venus-Neptune comes from seeing God in the beloved or seeing God in an ephemeral circumstance, which surely the eternal is shining through ephemeral or temporary things, just like we are these like wonderful glimmers of the divine, and we expire, right? And so when we are relating to God unconsciously through something that is not the totality, then we put all of these, you know, this yearning, this longing for something that is so much bigger than the situation itself, and that is a source of disillusionment. I think I'll just leave it there. April 28th, Mercury in 28 degrees of Taurus will trine Pluto in 28 degrees of Capricorn at 5.04 a.m. Pacific. If you missed last week's forecast and you want to go back to it and di- like dive in more to Mercury and Taurus, I talked about that like almost exclusively. Um, but in terms of this Mercury trine Pluto in Earth signs, Mercury in fixed sign Taurus, What we are processing, communicating, taking in may feel especially dense, compact, rich, or some of this density may have gotten lodged somewhere at some point because we resisted the material or resisted processing it. So when I think about this transit, it feels like there's some energy in the field in terms of our thoughts, communications, that like there's a lot of material. It's like densely packed mud, if you will. And if we're coming to a part of our interior world or inner process that feels full of compact, rich sediment, thick layers, um, consider being authentic with pace. We don't have to untie karmic knots or personal issues dramatically all in a day. Like that desire to like fix things really fast or like heal 100%, having that kind of agenda. Processes have a natural time of their own. But what is the middle path here between an excess of tamas or sloth or stagnancy versus forcing momentum and speed where there's a lot of stuff? Where are we creating change in a place where, sorry, where we are creating change in a place that has been densely locked in some kind of freeze or stagnancy? What are we introducing to the ecosystem of our lives to support change? 
right? So if we're talking about um, moving more into the erotic truth of our lives and leaning away from the places that we've rejected that deep part of ourselves and whatever layers have um, gone on to that, you know, we're all conditioned in a repressed society, right? Um, Opening the floodgates of eros and of aliveness can be really activating. And so how are we nourishing ourselves through that density that we may be moving through when we say yes to life at a deeper level and then account for whatever has been accumulated that we weren't looking at or that we were avoiding before, but now we're looking at. April 29th, Pluto stations retrograde in 28 degrees of Capricorn at 11.36 a.m. A stationing planet becomes an emphasized energy in the sky and in our experience, and so we've got Pluto, um, you know, I don't want to say bearing down on us because that seems... You know, I love Pluto, but Pluto like emanating, the sense of Pluto imminent, present in the field. And I find that that, you know, in combination with eclipse season is another way that the soul is feeling stirred, that the soul is feeling alive, you know, and whether that's in feeling more connection to our desire um, or feeling more connection to our angst and our aversion and what we are repelled by. Those are both languages of Pluto. But when I thought about it with Pluto and Capricorn, what I wanted to emphasize is that we're very close to the end of Pluto and Capricorn. It entered there 2008. We're going to have it move into Aquarius in 2023, which is not far away. And we're toward the end, you know, 28 degrees of Capricorn right now. And it brought me to reflection of how a major theme or a fascination in the collective psyche has been very much descent of the status quo or descent of institutions, the sense of wanting to shine a light on corruption in the world. I feel like that's been um, such a theme of like, you know, the world is dying. Like that has been kind of the collective like energy, that apocalyptic feeling, but that sense of let's hold people accountable has been like a huge Pluto and Capricorn undercurrent. And when it comes to, you know, that process, there was a lot of demonization and persecution that went into that idea of like, let's hold people accountable, right? And the quality of, you know, you're bad or you're wrong, right? Like, and that um, judgment with Pluto and Capricorn. And then the other integration of like, I'm enmeshed with society. I am bad. I am wrong because I buy things that were, you know, made unfairly. Or I fill my tank up with gas. And that feeling of like, we're in the soup of all of this that we have been interrogating as a culture. And what I think would be most radical as a summation to this cycle is the quality of unhooking from cultural complexes. That deep inner work. Okay, so at a most distilled level, 
let's consider the idea of cultural complexes for Pluto and Capricorn. Capricorn relating to things like the world, society, the superego, should consciousness based on cultural values, institutions, conventions, and normalcy, social power, and Pluto relating to power as well in the unconscious and depth psychology. So cultures can be possessed by complexes, you know, just as an individual can be in their shadow in a moment or kind of we would say, in some sense, possessed by a complex, that they're having a conversation or an argument, but really it's touching on a wounded inner child part of them that's feeling activated by that. Cultures have shadows as well. And then we are also receiving cultural conditioning through our first family, um, through community, through public schooling, what have you. Like, we've been receiving the codes and messages of society. And then acting within that matrix, you know, whether we are in it or rebelling from it, there's a sense of being in the matrix. And what can be radical about this unhooking from cultural complexes, this isn't something that we just pretend we do, or it's like, okay, I did it. Like it's deep and maybe it comes off layer by layer. Um, where the places within us that we hold unworthiness or shame are the places that we can be shamed, right? Or, um, you know, I like to think of maybe the beauty industry as an example because it's one that I can relate to having my own uh, profound struggles with, as many people and women do, where how much energy am I spending trying to look better or fantasizing about extreme measures to make my appearance better, you know, or feeling not worthy because of certain beauty standards. And how is that all of that energy, all of that power being invested into something that's keeping me small, keeping me disempowered, keeping me a consumer? That disentangling, that unknotting work I think at a deep personal power level, when I think about cultural change from the individual level, where, you know, we're these like fractals of culture. And so when individuals have a process of alchemizing or unhooking from a cultural complex, they're going to reclaim all of that energy that's been siphoned into that and then get to recycle it and express it in other ways that might be quite innovative or quite life-giving or quite magical. And that can influence other people and cultural change starts to happen from that place. Um, that's not the only way that cultural change happens, but it's something that I'm really thinking about with Pluto and Capricorn where there's been such an emphasis on like the big powers or the overlords that be or the social ills. And as Pluto's coming to a close in Capricorn, what about the deep power within us to reclaim soul from places that we've given it away to the colossus of the world? And not that these consequences of worldly conditions aren't real, and touch our lives in real ways, 
but the quality of like finding that thing within us that can unhook and change the story, I think is a deeply powerful part of this Pluto and Capricorn transit. And then Mercury enters Gemini at 3.23 p.m. Pacific. So we have Mercury entering the sign of its domicile, its home, and it will station retrograde May 10th, re-entering Taurus on May 22nd, and then it will station direct June 3rd and re-enter Gemini on June 13th. So we have this kind of back and forth between Gemini and Taurus for Mercury. And with Mercury and Taurus, we have this methodical plotting, like laying brick by brick, like kind of consciousness, very tactile, heavy feet, right? And then Mercury and Gemini brings Mercury into an air sign and the mental and communicative field lightens up. There's more space. It gets quicker and spacious while Mercury is in Gemini. And if Mercury and Taurus was collecting beauty or treasure, Mercury and Gemini is collecting curiosity, interesting facts, and making connections. Mercury and Gemini wants to be fascinated, intrigued, and stimulated. So as I was writing this, I was getting an image of two people in conversation and their words forming a cloud, and this cloud animating and morphing reality. Like when you hear a new word, or learn a specific niche concept, and it appears in your reality the next day, like a synchronicity. Mercury and Gemini experiences um, expansion of the world, of the map, by gaining new data points. So a new concept enters your mind, and there's like a light, you know, turning of some inner gear, and then reality shifts. Like, it's, it's delightful, right? Um, it's not just new information, but new magical openings in reality itself. If we are struggling or we struggle generally to be open or curious, at least in some aspect of your life, um, a place that you don't feel particularly receptive to novelty, where you're maybe a little bit more dogmatic or rigid, this transit could be supportive for leaning into cultivating interest and curiosity for no other reason than the act itself. We never know what that opening will loosen up or will lead to. And then April 30th, our new moon, solar eclipse, and 10 degrees of Taurus at 1.28 p.m. Pacific. If you can, um, what I'll suggest is I love to meditate during eclipses. I love to eclipse within, right? Like, we have lives, things are going on, so sometimes things are just happening. But when you have the space, you know, and sometimes it could be an inspired plan that comes through. But thinking, you know, if you have the space, if you have the interest, if this sounds good to you, to eclipse within. Um, going into meditation during eclipses, I feel like there's a, like a wormhole that kind of opens up and... I've gotten some of my most inspired and very like pivotal ideas during eclipses. And a lot of the kind of spiritual literature about eclipses advises that kind of like going within or not being engaged in like worldly activities. That being said, I just got invited to go to this like Beltane farm party celebration and I saw the itinerary and talked about the eclipse and now I get to lead an eclipse meditation. 
at this party. So I was planning on just being in my home by myself, meditating, but now, you know, this came through the wormhole and I'm, I'm excited about it. Anyway, some things I want to tell you about this eclipse. Um, as I mentioned, it's conjunct asteroid Eros. It's also conjunct Uranus and it will sextile Mars in Pisces. By the time of the full moon, the sun will also be conjunct Eros again. So eclipses are like wormholes, times of chapters ending or chapters beginning. Eclipses carry a somewhat unstable and chaotic frequency where we have an opportunity to be more instinctually and soulfully creative. Novel or surprising impulses may be present. It's also a time of heightened reactivity, which we can temper with awareness. So seeing the activation or trigger as opposed to simply going on the ride. By the full moon, the sun's going to be conjunct the fixed star algal, which has mythic imagery about losing one's head. You know, and eclipses are already when people are reactive. So thinking about the kind of primal creativity that comes through when you're feeling irrational or feeling chaotic and how, um, you know, this really came through in Meteorite, the um, alumni program that I teach. We're having this discussion and it's emerging. Um, Jonathan Coe, who's been on the podcast and started um, Healing the Spirit podcast, was talking about, you know, the cultural judgment of the chaotic, of the unruly. And so thinking about that within ourselves, that when we're feeling, you know, in heat or we're feeling a little bit of lunacy, you know, like how we work with that energy coming through us um, in a true and in a responsible way, right? Like it can look like being being weird, making guttural sounds, uh, being in some kind of embodiment practice, making art, um, and, you know, depending on how you already kind of lean into that type of experience in reality, it might be your cup of tea, it might be something that feels like what's happening to me, kind of energy. Um, And then we're also talking about Eros, Cupid, the deepest feelings of aliveness, and the full range of feeling. So an erotic eclipse season may be offering us change in how we relate to the erotic in life and within ourselves. Could be surprising, right? It's conjunct Uranus as well. So Eros, the deepest feelings of aliveness, right? But there's a necessary degree of permission, surrender, and allowance that goes into being with the erotic. Another coexisting impulse within individuals and within society is to suppress the erotic. That's messy, that's ugly, that's too much, that's painful, that's wrong. So our deepest feelings of aliveness are not just speaking to ecstasy and pleasure, but also heartbreak, grief, the full range of feelings. And we can repress those, as I was saying, ugly, too much, inappropriate, you should get over it. Why are you feeling so much? You know, like all of that kind of like harsh, repressive energy upon the erotic, as opposed to the facilitating like, okay, take some time to feel that. 
make some space to scream it out, give it space and time, like actually cultivate it as opposed to repress it. And so as we cut ourselves off from these feelings, we also cut ourselves off from life. You know, if we sanitize and manicure our lives too much, there's a kind of suffering and dullness that goes alongside that. Repression and constriction is archetypally connected to Saturn, but Saturn also relates to inner authority, the ways we give ourselves permission, the foundation or capacity we have, including for the erotic. An evolutionary intention with the Taurus archetype is to develop a deep relationship with oneself and to cultivate self-esteem. If we think about this erotically, it is about our intimacy with the full range of our feelings and inner experience and finding the ways that we become fertile or potent in our own essence as a result. And then same day, Venus, ruler of the new moon, Venus in 27 degrees of Pisces will be conjunct Jupiter in 27 degrees of Pisces. Like, wow, this week is fireworks, okay? Venus is in her exaltation conjunct Jupiter in domicile. This feels like a very lovely transit and so flooding at the same time that the new moon is so provocative. So in combination with the eclipse, this conjunction feels like an upwelling of desire for the good things in life the desire for beauty, the desire for love, the desire for fun, the desire for play. Sometimes maybe the desire to play more if we have a we are working too much or a sense of focusing our play and our passion into something sustainable too if we feel like we're not doing right by ourselves that we're squandering something. The erotic quality of the eclipse suggests we have the opportunity to be eclipsed by the erotic, to be surprised at how we find the entrance into this magical state of being. Venus and Jupiter come together for a kind of generous, jovial, down-to-go-to-excess, down-to-live-a-little, down-to-imagine kind of frequency, even a kind of boldness. This transit may express as a return of faith that we are capable of receiving, generating, creating experiences that uplift our hearts and have us feeling joyful, grateful, abundant. It may not be the first thing that appears, or it may, it may be something that kind of just appears, right? But I want to emphasize participation. It may be available once we drop into our own way of cultivating that level of intimacy and vulnerability with ourselves that opens us to the erotic. May 1st, Beltane, Venus in 28 degrees of Pisces, sextile Pluto retrograde in 28 degrees of Capricorn at 3.37 a.m. Pacific. Venus in Pisces is in of itself a very opening transit, and Venus has just contacted Neptune and Jupiter. Such expansion may invite revisions of the unconscious, such as when opening to greater levels of self-intimacy or love with life or another, or openness to our vulnerable desires. We find ourselves having to soothe or settle down the inner protector who is on alert, vigilant, not trusting, assuming that something bad is about to happen at any moment, 
especially if we lean into the good. Opening to the good in life can be a challenge too. Many people have a high pain tolerance. What about the capacity to be with the good without feeling shut down or threatened? Sorry if you can hear my cat. (laughs) She's like going to be walking on the desk and stuff if I have her in here. So, okay. May 2nd, Venus enters Aries at 9, 10 a.m. Pacific and will stay in Aries until May 28th. Venus in Aries is passion. Venus in Aries can relate to the ways that we come to understand what we value through anger. The no informs a yes, as well as the ways that we relationally engage anger with an open or noble heart. Big Venus in Aries teaching for me of engaging, interacting with a Venus in Aries person who is very receptive to my anger of like, give it to me, don't hold back kind of hot, you know, and that kind of passion of like the yes to the passion is something that I see with Venus and Aries. Turbulence in relationship can create mutual closure and defensiveness, right? Like if you're just at war um, or be channeled into expression, play and change, you know, tussling, wrestling, joyful combat. So this is what I wanted to share with you for the week. It's big. You know, we also have Jupiter on May 3rd. Jupiter in 28 degrees of Pisces will sextile Pluto in 28 degrees of Capricorn. Uh, Combined with Venus at the end of Pisces, joining Jupiter and Neptune, this eclipse, Pluto stationing, Venus and Mercury changing signs. It's definitely... um, like an active week. Things are popping. It's springtime. It's eclipse season with Eros, you know, on both eclipses. I was literally like tossing and turning in my dream realm last night, like having like eclipse dreams and thinking about Cupid and like the Eros archetype, which is um, such a beautiful and profound archetype. And just that it's with us this eclipse season and there's a kind of like chapters ending or beginning related to our relationship with Eros and with the Venusian archetype is just profound. So I hope that you are feeling um, supported during this time. Sometimes with eclipse season, there's a feeling of feeling like things drop or we feel maybe like anxious or unsettled. Um, And so being patient with yourself as you ride those waves and are kind of like along for the ride of soul. Um, Drew Levante used the phrase in a post about the eclipses um, to loosen the reins, like increase the the faith and loosen the reins. And I thought that was a beautiful piece of advice. Um, So I'm going to end this here. I forgot to say at the beginning to please like this video. It's very supportive when you do that. Leave a comment. Let me know what resonates with you and how you're doing. And subscribe to this channel. Hit the notification bell. You'll get notified when new videos come out. And do Eclipse Within if you can. Much love to you all.